Welcome back to another episode of Tubby Talk. It is me, Terry, from Terry Leahy Films, joined with my two friends, owners of the Tubby Robot Ice Cream Factory. Their names are... Chris McGuire. Steve Wright Jr. And the three of us are back to talk more about video games and help you have more of a community for your nerddom on both the interwebs and here in Philadelphia. We are in Maniunk, PA, right on Main Street. These guys own a wonderful, wonderful ice cream place, and they'll serve you right here. Right there. Pretty cool. Um, so this week, uh, we are going to dive into something I've always enjoyed. You see, us old-timers uh, remember days of console wars, where I know you kids today get everything that comes out, period, because somehow all kids are freaking rich nowadays. <laughs> but back in the day, you kind of had to choose one. And once you chose, man, those battle lines were drawn. So we're going to talk about our favorite consoles and also about the idea of the console wars to begin with. But to start things rolling, I would like to talk to you gentlemen about the oldest one that I remember. When it really got into it was probably Super Nintendo Sega Genesis. That was probably the birth of the true fight. What yep. do you guys think about that? That was the earliest fair fight, at least. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have before At least that? in my neighborhood, my elementary school, there was the Atari 5600 versus the NES. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, depending on, <laughs> depending on when your family adopted and how sold they were by Atari's claim of the family computer. Uh-huh. You would have the 20, uh, 20, uh, it was 2600, or maybe, was it 5400? Sorry, not 5600. It's, yeah, I think it was a couple 5, iterations. I think it's 5, the 2600 was the popular one that everyone yeah, had. Yeah, that's one everybody had. That so was whatever just, one we're showing yeah. in graphics right now, that yeah. one. <laughs> the 5400 was the more slightly more advanced version that was supposed to be 8-bit graphics, if I remember correctly, but it was nowhere near the 8-bit graphics of the NES. Yeah. Now, why, why was that? Was that just because they didn't have like talented artists there, or? Well, it, it, I, I, as far as I remember, because I was like six, I think it was partially due to the fact that Atari games were based on arcade games, which were much more simple back then. Mm -hmm. Especially the backgrounds weren't necessarily as detailed as like the NES backgrounds were, you know. So I think it just suffered from having to have like a Pac-Man port and a Space Invaders port. I think a lot of it, too, was just uh, that Nintendo engineered a better machine at the time. Nintendo was not moving, working with, like, the, the top-of-the-line uh, stuff. Even back then, like, the Famicom, they designed to be cheap and easy to manufacture and push out the doors. Um, What's the Famicom? The Famicom is the Japanese version of the NES. The family computer. Yes. There's this whole theme here. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, even back then, like, it was not top-of-the-line. It was a repurposed chip from something else that they just threw in there. Uh, they, they put in... It had a very slow CPU, but a pretty decent uh, graphics processor, which is why it had the vibrant graphics, the, the sprites that move quickly that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. And Atari at the time, like... Uh, I think that they were just resting on their laurels. The 2600 was a huge success, yeah. and they were like, oh, we, we just make it a little bit stronger, you know, and we'll, we'll fight off all this stuff. And then they crashed the game industry, so <laughs> thanks for that, guys. We'll talk about the crash another time because I'm interested in that. But yeah, Atari was in Blade Runner. Nintendo wasn't. Yep. Gotta give them that, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but then I remember uh, Mario hit the scene, and he was a screaming success, and there was nobody really to challenge him, period, for all of the NES. But all that changed once we graduated and moved on to the Super Nintendo, because our pals at Sega introduced a new character, and a whole new system, and a whole new tagline that was pretty much straight against Nintendo. Like, I would say they drew first blood. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And then it's actually written into the history books, this. Uh, it was actually Sega of America, specifically, because Sega of Japan was actually falling behind. Um, they came out with the Genesis, 
They were, this actually goes back to the Sega Master System, which was their original home console. Yeah, their 8-bit console. And was, was there anything a, on it? Yeah, there was a bunch of stuff on it. Alice uh, Kid, Wonder Boy, and Monster Land. Um, yeah, they, 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 uh, Fantasy Star, Star, I think the first Fantasy Star, Star yeah, was, was on, on it. There. A lot of the classics that people think of as Genesis games, the Genesis games were actually sequels to yeah. or ports of. Oh. Uh, but the Master System was kind of a commercial failure. I think it did best in Europe, strangely yeah. enough. Uh, it did really well in Europe. In America, it was a total like abomination of failure. It was technically stronger than the NES at the time, too. So I think uh, Sega of, of Japan was like, what the heck? Why can't we break into this market? Nintendo got it with this weaker machine. What are we doing wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, and so they, they came out with the Genesis, and uh, Sega of Japan was still falling behind. Like They could not keep up uh, with Nintendo, even though they had a much more powerful system. This was well before the Super Nintendo was ready, because the Genesis mm -hmm. launched like over a year before the Super Nintendo yeah. ever did. And it did? Yes. Oh my god, it, I didn't know that. It did. And um, so the Genesis came out and they brought it to America, and Nintendo of America's like, we need to change the way we're marketing this. We are going to be brash and in your face, and we are going to take down Nintendo, like, as directly as we can. And so Nintendo, uh, um, Sega of Japan was actually really against this move. Like, they, hmm. in Japan, is considered very uncouth to, like, directly name your competitors and go at them like that in such a frontal way, um, but it worked. So basically they pushed this advertising campaign out without the say-so of Japan, mm. and it worked, and then they're like, well, we're mad at you, but mm, keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it came out, and I think, I believe the, the tagline you're referring to is probably, uh, Genesis does what Nintendo don't. That's right. Yes. Oh, <laughs> just pow, it hurts. It hurts because Nintendo, Nintendo, yep. man, they do lots. They do lots, and so the reason that, that's kind of a great introduction to it. So although they grew first blow, console wars weren't what I would say between the manufacturers as much as they were between kids who had them. And the thing is, you got whatever you got, and we're old timers, man. You know, we didn't get every system that came out, and it wasn't all on our phone either. Like, it was an investment to decide what it was going to be for a family. And for a lot of people my age, I know it was either you're getting a Super Nintendo or you're getting a Sega. There's no way you're getting both. So you kind of got to pick one. And that's how, for me, the bloodlines were drawn, and I was hardcore Nintendo and remained that way through all future consoles. All future consoles. <laughs> it runs so deep in there, and I will fight to the death Anybody who says the Super Nintendo is not the greatest console in the world, that's what I think, is the all-time greatest <laughs> console. See, I wouldn't even argue with you on that one, because uh, I love my Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Still have it. Still have two of them now. Uh, what color is it? Has uh, it turned yellow? It has turned yellow. Okay. They, yeah, they, they all turn yellow. And there is a way to make it whiter, but it's involved. Time-consuming and... Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I love the Super Nintendo. But the thing is, I, I was the same way. Like, my Nintendo Alliance was really, really strong up until college. Honestly, uh, until the Dreamcast came out, it was really until Sega like laid down their <laughs> arms that I was ready to accept them as like a, a, a worthwhile developer, mm -hmm. which was silly because Sega made a lot of great games then, and I missed out on a lot of Genesis games. Like I barely played any. Yeah. Like their later stuff, I played more of because I was softening slowly, slowly. And uh, I love the Dreamcast. Dreamcast is, is an amazing system. Check Grind Radio and... Check Grind Radio, uh, Crazy Taxi, and 1 Power and 2. Stone Power Stone 1 and 2. Yeah, Power Stone 2. I distinctly have fond memories of weirdest controller I've ever seen in my life. It was strange. It was strange. And we were just talking, actually, about the, uh, the, the 360 uh, Saturn controller that they made for Nights into Dreams, specifically. It was the first <laughs> Sega controller with an analog stick. And basically, the, Dream, the Dreamcast controller is an adaptation of that. They look very similar. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it ran deep, and I feel for me, uh, a lot of it was fermented by the magazines, uh, yes. particularly Nintendo Mag Power. Yeah, ma magazines and the advertising. Yes. Because Nintendo, did they come directly at Sega in ads? Because I don't think they did, but they were very much just lead by how great their games were. They were just saying, look at these amazing games we have, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I always loved Nintendo because, I don't know if I said this on the last podcast, but I definitely said it with you guys. I feel a sense of love in every Nintendo-produced game. Like, whoever made that game, you can feel how much they cared about it on all of their From the Motherland titles. Yeah, the first party... EAD developed games. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was how they were fighting, and I think I respected that method of fighting, too. So I was like, I like Di uh, Nintendo. I almost said Disney because it reminds me so much <laughs> of it. But Nintendo, to me, is kind of the honorable choice. You never see them attacking anyone else, whereas Sega came out of the gate very American style and yeah. just started coming after them. Uh, even with their characters, like Sonic was a bit of a douche <laughs> compared to our magical little plumber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't move Sonic on the screen for about five seconds. He starts tapping his foot. That's right. Patiently checking his watch, which he just is, which he isn't wearing, but yeah. you get the gesture. You know, yeah. I believe he'll knock on the screen eventually, or am I thinking of someone else? It might have even been like a late. There yeah, it might have been like Sonic CD Sonic or something. He might have done that. I do remember in Super Mario sixty four. If you let it alone, he started dreaming. And you go, yeah, see, let's see, on, just yeah. that contrast. Sonic is brash yes. and like, hurry up, player, what are you doing? And Mario's like, oh, I'm just going to nap, but here, what are you doing? I'm looking for you. Oh, that's so cute, Mario. You're so cute. Exactly. So that's why I was always Team Nintendo. And they still have that to this day. I mean, they really are. Of course, now they're, they have defeated their foe. Although, really, they just waited them out. But, and they actually didn't really defeat them. They kind of, like Chris was saying, like Sega gave up the ghost. And then started making games for and with Nintendo, including the um, Olympic Games that they co-developed. But it was very much at that point a. It seems like that's more of a, Nintendo, a Sega of Japan-led gesture. Yeah. Because in the Sega of America, um, as Chris might be able to elaborate on, went through a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, they sort of castrated them, um, like Sega of Japan. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> castrated. Yes, yeah, so, that's uh, extreme. They, they, they basically pulled like all the funding and resources from Sega of America. Uh, they didn't like what they were doing. They're saying we're bringing this all in house back home. We're going third party, uh, and basically everything's Japan runs everything again. Which is interesting because Sega is originally an American company. Yeah. Um, what? Yes, yeah, Sega. Yeah. Uh, Sega stands for Service Games. They were originally an arcade company that uh, catered to armed forces. Uh, they would uh, go to the armed force bases and make like arcades. Yeah, you tell me I've been against the military my whole time, <laughs> the whole time. Oh my god. Yeah, sort of. I feel terrible now. <laughs> so yeah, at some point I forget the exact history, but uh, they, they had a whole bunch of manufacturing set up in Japan at one point, and then they became all the developers became. Japanese-centric, they started making their own games, and I think those were mostly in Japan. Um, but yeah, they've got a fascinating history. While we're on the topic, I'll tell you what, Sega did really make me want to cross over multiple times. One, as I, we've talked about before, the Sonic games are some of my favorite games ever. I was lucky enough to have a Genesis for a short, very, very short <laughs> period of time. I feel like it showed up at a garage sale or something, and my mom just grabbed it, and I, I ended up with it, and it was wonderful. But I did get jealous because they were innovating just on the at the wrong time. It was like <laughs> yes. N64 came out, or maybe it was before N64, because after Super Nintendo, Sega Saturn hit, right? Yeah. 
and then N64 came out, and then Dreamcast hit. Yeah. So one of them hit early. I think it might have been this. Well, the Saturn, Saturn was a surprise release, they were, which was yeah. a, a horrible like decision on their part. Like basically, there was I think I forget what trade show. Sega CD as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that all that. Like I mean, there were all the add-ons for the Genesis. They yeah. they were trying to put off, and then they made the Saturn. CD 32 x But the Saturn, I think it was CES <laughs> or something. Uh, it might. It was before E3. It was like something like CES. They're like, oh, and by the way, guys, here's this great new system, and it's available today. And everyone was like, what? And so, like, they didn't have any games because the developers were surprised by this. They were like, what do you mean, Sega? And Sega's like, here's our four launch games. Developers get, get cracking. And then, uh, basically, Sony was like, we're coming out with a system. It's going to be stronger than the Saturn. Just wait. And everyone did. Nobody bought the Saturn. <laughs> and it fell on its face. And it was uh, just kind of the first in a long line of, of failures. It's like the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast deserved to do well, uh, but it did not. It's a shame. Yeah. But you just brought up the next great console war, which was Nintendo versus Sony. And I think those battle lines were even more extreme between people because yeah. now Sony was producing adult content, right? It, it was kind of an extension from Sega's uh, thrust, I would say, because yeah. uh, Sega was always, Keep that's going. the kitty system. Nintendo was pushed as kind of like this is the kitty system where you play cute cartoony games sonic is this cool guy for you know it was kind of like radical teenagers for uh, surf and chili dog eating teenagers yes yeah. and then those surf and chili dog eating teenagers grew up to be like generation xers their early 20 somethings who the playstation kind of uh, spoke directly to exactly with, with and their, they were already burned because they already had a saturn which sucked and then they had a yeah. Nope, then they had a Saturn that sucked, and it was like, oh, now we're even more angsty. <laughs> yeah, Sega was just a lame a lame horse in that race. They were third place from the beginning. They just gave up, didn't even try. Meanwhile, Sony and Nintendo come out with this Cold War rivalry because Nintendo had the bits, your 64-bit, <laughs> over 32-bit, but Sony had the CDs, and they had Cool Factor, and they had Sony's long history of consumer products which helped them get a foothold in the market immediately because that trusted Sony name was enough to carry them with a lot of people. Yeah. Then you also had their um, Sega of America style edginess to their advertisements with their You Are Not Red E. Yes. Where there was an E, like on the screen there would be a red E. And normally with, I think it had a square on it maybe, but it was kind of like, these were like David Lynchian style like <laughs> visuals. Yeah, they're very artsy sort of, uh, sort of advertisements. Yes, yeah. but they, 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 they caught the eye and they caught the ear and you just hear, you are not ready in like a computerized voice. No gameplay footage in yeah. these videos. That's right. But it, it would just kind of be like, oh, what's this Sony video game system? Especially with parents, when they're still buying games for their then teenage kids who grew up on Super Nintendo or Genesis. They're like, oh, that new PlayStation thing, I heard of that. Sony makes it. I trust them. Here's a PlayStation. Yeah. You know? well, do you remember actually the Crash Bandicoot ads where it was a guy in a suit, in a Crash <laughs> Bandicoot suit with a, he had a literal megaphone where he would stand outside of like Nintendo of America. Oh, I don't remember. Oh yeah, and he'd just like, hey, plumber yeah. boy, what's up? <laughs> Check out what I got, 32 bits, and it would show some gameplay footage. So like it was- And you could see his face in the mouth in of the Crash, mouth of right? Yeah, yeah. So it was made to look super cheesy, but yeah. it was literally as in your face as you could get, because they got right into their parking lot, and, and were screaming at them with a bullhorn, like it was just like, Crash Bandicoot, he's just so rad, and you're so lame. He's even radder than Sonic. Yeah. Was Turns out he was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but 
games just all relaunched and they're selling like hotcakes, right? Yeah, uh, the, the new Crash Bandicoot yeah. uh, remasters came out and they are selling incredibly. They've been at the top of the charts for five weeks now? Like, crazy. No one expected, not even the developers expected. They're like, oh, you know, there's probably some Crash Bandicoot fans. We'll, we'll make some money on that. But it's really doing well. So, the, so Sony was not ready <laughs> to reintroduce Crash Bandicoot. See what you did. Very nice. Steve, we'll start with you. Nintendo versus PlayStation, what were the pros and the cons of each of, each of those? Well, like I said, the Nintendo 64 had 64 bits. Now, let's be more specific. Was N64 a more powerful machine? Overall, I'm, I'm not certain. I believe it was. It was um, in, in many ways. Uh, it, it had a, a faster GPU, uh, but its storage capacity was much worse. So that was kind of the, the line you drew. It was like, do you want the, the better visuals or do you want the longer FMV CD video, uh, CD music sort of game? Yeah, because one of the big differences um, for any, for, for the few games that were shared amongst the platforms, was the N64 cartridge would hold at max like five. Like, it was like 64 yeah. megabits. Yeah, I think about like 256 might have been the largest cartridge they had at the time. And that's bits, that's not that's bytes. Bits, yes. And then, meanwhile, CD wow. could hold up to yeah. 700 megabytes of data. Yeah, bytes. With a Y. So you had video, you had audio. Some um, Sony games actually had C um, the soundtrack in CD form. Yep. So you can put it in your home CD player and listen to the soundtrack of the game separated by tracks, which is something that Dreamcast tried to emulate and emulated it poorly. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for like two games. And you could play them in the Dreamcast system, but it was just garbage. But Sony did it masterfully. They marketed it to anybody that had like a Sony Hi-Fi system high fidelity sound for, you know, you youngins. <laughs> and you would just, you know, put the disc in, listen to, you know, all the tracks from Wipeout, that like techno thrash kind of <laughs> mashup they put in there, which we all love playing while you're racing or rather steering a rocket through like very narrow <laughs> alleys. But that's another thing that this, um, PlayStation had over the N64, it, the use of, the use of the extra storage space for speed to be able to portray speed, such as in Wipeout, it was amazing at the time. Meanwhile, you had Mario Kart 64, which was an amazing game, one of my favorite racing games of all time. But you didn't have that same sense of speed as you did with Wipeout. And I don't know how much of that was Nintendo going for a more accessible game, but, or how much of it was Nintendo could not put out a I game. I think it was much. mostly accessible in that point because they did release F-Zero X, which was a really fast game on yeah, the Yeah, it is. But was it faster than Wipeout, though? I it felt that faster. I mean, so it ran at 60 frames per second okay. on the N64, which is sort which of is unheard awesome. of. Yeah. yeah, that was nuts. So you mentioned it a second ago, but one of the, one of the big fights I remember having with people, because I'm a Nintendo boy, you know, and so I was anti-Sony, but they had me every time was that they had the first CGI cutscenes. Mm. And they were great. <laughs> they were great. And I remember, I mean, the, today obviously they were junk. But the, the game that sparked something in me where they had me every single time was as soon as Final Fantasy VII dropped. Because that was being released for the Nintendo Ultra 64. It was supposed to be, yeah. Supposed to be. Stopped in the middle of it. I remember seeing images of it in Nintendo Power. Uh, he, he was a brown haired character with like a blue hat at the time. <laughs> and it goes to Sony, and my heart broke. <laughs> this is the company that made my all-time favorite game, Super Mario RPG, has left, left 
home base and gone to another company and is looking like they're producing one of the greatest games of all time, <laughs> which it was. And it included so much stuff. The game was massive. You just mentioned about disk space. It was across three disks, right? It was, like, yeah. it was at least three, yeah. yeah. Three disks worth of like content and whatnot in this sprawling story and these beautiful cutscenes. A game that made a lot of people cry, and I still get choked up thinking about that era <laughs> thing today. Like, that Sephiroth scene is heartbreaking still to this day, and they had me. I couldn't win that fight. They, Sony beat me on that fight. So did you get a PlayStation? I never did. Mm. I held strong, but in the back of my, but in my heart, I was always like, Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> and I did end up playing it multiple times with friends and, and whatnot. It's just one of those games, but... Uh, that was the big punch in the face that they always had. Was like they had cutscenes, same as in Mega Man Legends. Mega yeah, Man Legends, 64 Mega got Man 8 also had oh. cutscenes. And, and oh, the Chrono Trigger remaster for Sony PlayStation and anime cutscenes and the sequel, Chrono oh, Cross sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I do remember that that port of Chrono Trigger coming out, being like, mm, mm. <laughs> 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 I, Chrono Trigger is one of my favorites as well. One of my yeah. My favorite JRPG, definitely. One of my favorite games of all time, probably top 10. Yeah. And so what makes, like not to get too far off track with talking about games, even though they are awesome, <laughs> part of what may be more of a slap, is more of a slap in the face to fans, Nintendo fans in particular, is that the Sony PlayStation was supposed to be a CD add-on for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah. And Nintendo it's and Sony hurts. were working together to collaborate on this when I don't know exactly why they stopped. Um, Chris may be able to elaborate yeah, on this. Yeah, I read a lot about this and there's some conflicting reports, but it was basically like, it sounded like Nintendo is working with Sony to make the CD add-on for the Super Nintendo. Great, great, great. Um, and at some point, uh, they were also working with Pioneer, I think um, it was. Um, Either Pioneer or Philips. Wait, Philips it might have been. I think it was Philips. Well, Philips did the CDI. Yeah. So what would it have been that company? I forget it was one of them, and uh, they, they basically revealed it was some stupid throwaway side thing that they were putting out together. Um, you mean Nintendo and Philips? Yeah, Nintendo and Philips. It was the CDI version of Link, maybe? It might have been. But basically, like, they were working with two companies, playing them off each other, like, hey, because at that time, Nintendo was like, we're the big guys, like, we can do whatever <laughs> we want, so we're going to play these two against each other, see which one comes out on oh, top, man. place wow. our chips on one. And then, like, basically, Sony felt backstabbed by this move. And they're like, well, we're, we're going to make our own system with blackjack and hookers. Right? <laughs> uh, literally, actually. <laughs> and, and then uh, they, they went and made the PlayStation, and uh, the rest is history, uh, sort of. They took Ooh. Square away. They took Capcom away. Ostensibly the properties that I really cared about. Yeah. They just took a lot of the things that I loved and took for granted on the Super Nintendo, I gotta admit. Well, but that's saying, did they take them, or did they leave? <laughs> well, they like, took them like, as far like, as I'm Like, did Sony take them, or did Nintendo let them go? As far as I'm concerned, yeah. they took them. You mentioned something <laughs> earlier, Steve, which was um, JRPG. That was the big thing that I think uh, screwed the Nintendo 64. Those were gone. All of those yeah. went to... And that was really a marked change because the Super Nintendo was like incredible for JRPGs. They oh, just yeah. had some of the best ever made. They are there. You can count. You can't count them on your hands and your toes. Like there's so many good ones on the Super Nintendo. And then N64 didn't have them. Yeah. And, and all the sequels were on PlayStation. Yes. Like the uh, Secret of Mana sequels. I think it was 
Well, I didn't even know that existed. Yes. Yeah, there's a whole series. Apparently, we, we looked it up um, a couple weeks ago. Second Denetsu, I think, is the <laughs> yes. Japanese word. Uh, but uh, yeah, our Secret of Man is their, the second in that series. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so there's a bunch that moved to PlayStation. There was, like I said, Chrono Cross, which was a spiritual sequel to Chrono Trigger, that was one originally on this SNES. There was. I think it's like Final Fantasy Tactics, which was a spinoff. I yeah, know Final that's a well loved game. Over, yes. Well, see, and I think one thing that was interesting about that time is that the the systems became technologically different enough that there weren't direct ports anymore. Because yes. back in the Super Nintendo Genesis days, mm-hmm. there were a lot of ports between the two games, and people would argue over which one was better. Street Fighter was on both. Vulgar Man was on both. Mortal Kombat right? was on both. Mortal Kombat was on both. So a lot That's of right. third-party games could be on both. But then when they started making, you know, the, the developers loved having all this storage. Square, particularly, they were like, we love these big old bloated CG movies. <laughs> they were like, we can't put this on the cartridge. There's no way. So... N64 didn't get any of that. So when these companies, some of them would still make N64 games, but they were completely different games. Mm-hmm. Like, really, and it hurt. It it hurt us on the Nintendo right, side. And, like, and I, I wanted to play those so bad. And like, one, one of the worst comparisons, I think, was uh, Konami. They made Castlevania. Yes. Symphony of the Night. <laughs> Symphony of the Night well, uh, is one ever. of the best games. 2D side-scrolling uh, kind of role-playing game. Mm-hmm. It was great. And then uh, N64 got <laughs> Castlevania 64. <laughs> Which was like a 3D, over-the-shoulder, <laughs> muddy, dirty, blurry mess. Horrible. Starring a ginger, <laughs> by the way. And then Castlevania 64 2 with a werewolf. Yes. It I exists. forgot about that. Yes. Look it up. It's... <laughs> but yeah, we started getting screwed. Thank you very much for bringing up the next thing. The side-scroller lived on in the Sony PlayStation. It... They were not to be seen in the N64. Yeah, they didn't I can't really, think of a single one. They didn't one. make a whole lot of side-scrolling games in the N64. Because then they were like, well, 3D is the new thing. 3D is what this machine does best. Let's do less of 3D. Meanwhile, the- Mega Man X4, X5, <laughs> X6. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple that were pretty good on the on the N64. There was uh, Mischief Makers, which was... Uh, I had that. That was a side-scrolling game. That was pretty fun. Um, there were a couple others. They made Yoshi's Story... Technically, yeah, was terrible compared to Yoshi's Island, but uh-huh. still. But it was a side scroller. It was a side scroller. Uh, what are some of the great side scrollers you remember from the the PlayStation? Like, God, I just remember Mega Man Eight not having a way to play it and just crumbling inside. Yeah. <laughs> Mega Man X Four not being able to play it, dying inside. The Final Fantasies dead. Like it just, it just. I was so bitter that I had lost all of those classic. Games and um, honestly, it's still with me. What what we had though, what we had, we had magic. We had those games that came out on the N sixty four were beautiful and they were fun, and they were whimsical and magical. I mean, th- this is back when we had rare though, oh, which yeah. is a big deal. N sixty four had rare, and rare was making some of the best games of all time at that point. Yeah, they they took kind of the the game that. Mario 64 started with, and they just ran with it. Yeah. Because they came out with, you know, everyone remembers uh, the the platforming gems of that generation. It was stuff like uh, uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day, which was a crazy aberration (laughs) for a Nintendo game. Oh, my God. They were swearing. Uh, It was cursing. They were... Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie. They did, uh, God, there was Donkey Kong 64. Yeah. Yep. Um, They they made Goldeneye. Oh, my God. And the Perfect Dark. Uh, Diddy Kong Racing. I mean, we basically listed most half of the games worth owning on N64. Yes. It's all yeah. there. Yeah. M- most of the, I mean, most of the things that I love about Nintendo is their innovation, but not just innovating for innovation's sake, but innovating and doing it well. And then these other companies 
would take that model and improve upon it on themselves. And like that's what I'll always look at Sony and the next thing we're going to talk about as essentially taking my beautiful Nintendo ideas <laughs> and superpowering them and putting giant engines into them because we were about to go into the next phase of console wars where there were three full-on co competitors. Yeah. Microsoft reared its ugly head. That's where we're going to call it for today. The console wars, I guess, is a little bit bigger than, uh, than we anticipated when we started. Huge topic. Lots of, uh, lots of interesting stories and lots of interesting feelings. So we're going to call it for today, but please join us next week for part two when we finish our discussion of the console wars. Starting with the CDI by Phillips. That's... <laughs> <laughs> See.